0: Hello and welcome to the Dream Swarm podcast. This is your home for supernatural film, stories and art. I'm your host, magic realist filmmaker Andy Mark Simpson. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the Dream Swarm podcast. I'm really pleased today to welcome Stephen Ray who is a big creative force also known as the Bard of Cumberland and he's going to tell us about his work in folklore, in painting and in filmmaking and storytelling. So I'm really excited about this. So welcome Stephen. Good evening. Could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and and what it is you do?
1: My name's Stephen George Ray. My persona on social media is the Bard of Cumberland, but I'm also an artist, indie filmmaker, poet. I share the folklore from Cumbria, where I now live, but I also share folklore from, from Scotland and Ireland. So I was brought up in Ayrshire. I'm a family from a farming background. I initially studied botany at university. I took a portfolio a year studying art and i got into art college so i went down to carlisle and studied art for three years and absolutely loved it still paint make films share folklore i'm in the process of writing a book about um, nature spirits elementals and i was a buddhist monk for a few years as well and then got to a point thinking hmm, i don't know if, yeah Right. Done with that. Right. I'm going to go back to being a
0: pagan again. I know because I follow you on Twitter and YouTube as well, That like you are very creative. And in, in, as you say, you, I've seen your paintings and films and stories that you tell folklore wise. You mentioned that, that you've looked at like elemental nature spirits as well and paganism and druidism. How much does that influence your artwork as well?
1: maybe not as much as you would expect and that when you see my paintings you're not seeing paintings of like pixies and fairies and uh, my work tends to be although it's become slightly more figurative in nature it's maybe less abstract it's become slightly more figurative it's still got a quite a kind of abstract kind of surrealist quality to it so I don't necessarily know if like paganism necessarily. For me, with my art, it's the relationship between form and colour. The narrative has secondary importance. Perhaps in, in some paintings, I'm actually telling a story, which is, I think it's perhaps they still got a slight Buddhist element to it. You know, I'm fascinated with it. We're born, we grow old and we die. Buddhists would say we're reborn. But actually what Druids uh, also believe, that were were reborn as well. So rebirth, you know, we sort of think about rebirth as a sort of Buddhist thing, but actually, the the Druids and even the ancient Greeks were talking about. Rebirth even before Siddhartha Buddha was born, you know. So you would perhaps think it's a kind of Buddhist element in my painting, but that kind of notion goes a lot further back. So it's not, you'll not see pixies and gnomes and that type of thing. You'll just see these slightly abstract characters, you know. But for me, it's, I'm still very much exploring the relationship between that show, the the image and the colour. So the narrative is secondary.
0: I'm aware that this is an audio medium of a podcast, so I'm going to suggest people (laughs) going. check out steven's paintings raysm.com ray film and media go to ray film and media and and we're going to talk about your other works as well films and that are on there and because yeah Mm i haven't seen your paintings the color is something that really stands out about them and and i know what you're saying about it not having like the kind of norms and pixies and things even though i know you're interested in some of the kind of folklore elements of the natural world around us as well did notice a difference in that's not what you paint compared to the videos that you, short films that you make and the uh, folklore stories you tell. A deeper spiritual link between the paintings and those. But on the surface, there's not much kind of connection between the style of the paintings, at least, and the style of the folklore videos that you make.
1: Yeah, I think I've sort of got multiple personalities because my paintings are very much different than my sort of Bader Cumberland persona. And they're very much different than the film stuff, even I do with Bards of Green Films, you know, are quite surrealist. Could it could obviously it's psychedelic some of the things we do. So I, I think I've just sort of got multiple personalities that expect that appear over various genres in my life. But that's good though, because
0: someone who's interested in art, you don't want to feel limited. You know, you want to express what you want to express. Maybe that's working in different genres or different mediums, and just to to experiment with things. And I think that's really good. And you mentioned that you're in your short films, you have quite an experimental style and surrealist kind of style. So what's the style of the films that you make through those
1: yeah well that that was a chance encounter by my, with my mate Paul, who's sort of a fan of like, Count Arthur Strong, Vic Reeves, Bob Mortimer, Monty Python, Paul's uh, Cumbrian, and he really loves Scottish comedy. My background is I studied a bit of filmmaking when I was at art college. I actually studied performance art. I loved the goodies and that type of thing. So we're, we're both coming from a slightly surrealist element. So we we're just having this conversation one day that, and I said, look, Right, let's just go for it. Let's just start making films together. Let's pull together all these different elements and all we're interested in and just go on this adventure and do films. And it's all low budget, you know. I, so let's just do very low budget filmmaking and let's grab people we know that are creative. And yeah, let's just go on this journey. So we've made a, made a few short films and did The Last King of Cumbria, which is about you know, the legend of Dunmail, who's a part The Last King of Cumbria. And that was actually just like, oh, yes, hey, you know, somebody who does like reenactments. Yes, we need a couple of people to dress up as like Celtic warriors. So, like, so we paid everyone in like beer and chips, you know. So we did The Last King of Cumbria, which is a bit goofy. It's slightly surrealistic. The music is by Moby. For any filmmakers out there, you know, you can apply to Moby gratis to use his films, his music your films for free. So we've got this fantastic Moby soundtrack. It just cost us about 20 pints of beer and about a dozen bags of chips. I just went out over the period of a couple of nights and made this little short film, about five minutes long. We did a sort of science fiction film called Lost Laika using Paul's pet dog. Then we started doing a bit more kind of like the fast show inspired short films that were maybe just about 30 seconds to a minute long. And actually, I write Japanese haiku poetry, haiku that's written in 17 syllables, three lines. And I think I'm almost like bring what like a haiku brought into filmmaking If I can make a film in like thirty sixty seconds, that's enough for anyone, you know. So it's almost like haiku poetry in film. Can we tell the narrative in less than sixty seconds? So we've just done loads of films, but uh, they're actually most of them are actually just really short films, you know.
0: I've watched those films, and I get those references you said about like Monty Python. I can see that in there. There's that element of of surrealism in there, and some kind of experimental moments. Some inspired by folklore, which we, we can go on to a bit, your, your love of folklore storytelling and your knowledge of folklore versia and Cumbria, where you are now. So I know there's folklore influence there, but it goes in a very unexpected direction to other folklore videos that people might watch and um, with the surrealism. And and when you mention narrative, yeah, it's a very peeled-back narrative or a very, uh, yeah, poetic, it's like a haiku style rather than a traditional narrative. Was there any kind of sense that you might want to tell a traditional narrative with character growth and a beginning, middle and end, or, or
1: was that something that you've never felt the need to? Perhaps never felt the need to, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Not critical of other filmmakers' work because... I think you know if anybody's got an idea, whether it's a piece of art, or a film, or poetry, people should just do it. Just go for it. Just have fun. Just just be creative and explore. For me, I, I can find things just a bit too long. For me, if you can tell a story as quickly and possible, it's 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 great. Do you really need strong character development, you know? I don't know. I think I think for me still I've got sort of one foot in surrealism and one foot in folklore. For me to sort of exist creatively, the two of them have got to marry together. We set up land of lore films. So that was like telling a piece of folklore in 60 seconds or less. It had to have that sort of surrealist element within it. They are a bit goofy, or like folklore on film, 60 seconds or less, but there's some boggarts. They live under a bridge. They, they talk, you know, they're chained together and that's that and if the whole story of the boggers that chained under a bridge and a bit of interaction with them could be said in 60 seconds, yeah
0: That is as well how you unless it's, it's a longer kind of storytelling session but but you know when you come across folklore or people tell you a bit of folklore or if you follow Folklore Thursday on Twitter which which I, I think we both do they are very short snippets of folklore and you, folklore comes in that you go oh what a bogger, oh it's this or what's... Uh, a red cap, it's this. You can explain that in 30 seconds, what that is. And that's how we often experience little snippets of folklore in a lot of ways. So it makes sense that if you're going to present it on film, to do it in that way, and you do it in a way where you you combine the images with something to the everyday, so you get the surrealist element of those folklore creatures walking around to the chip shop or or whatever, or or walking down the street. So you get this surrealist thing, but I think it, it is partly that. That is how we talk about folklore often you know unless you are sitting down reading a a narrative book there's a lot of folklore books that aren't narratives that are you know just telling you these little snippets of folklore so it doesn't come with a lot of character development in itself a lot of the time i
1: think so like land Land of lore films is effectively like a visual tweet you know because we're all we're all you see we're all sharing folklore you know we've got mythology monday fairy tale tuesday Weird Wednesday, Folklore Thursday, Faustian Friday, Superstition Saturday, Swamp Sunday. It's folklore in a tweet. Land of Lore Films is a little visual tweet. So I'm, I'm reading a tweet and depending how, you know, it might be quite an interesting tweet and I'm spending a bit of time. Maybe I do spend maybe about like 30 to 60 seconds reading it. Actually, I could make a film the same duration that you're reading this tweet. It was just a new approach to telling folklore, you know. And I thought, you know, well, if it's a minute long, then it's easy to share on Twitter. It's easy to share on Instagram. And I can share it on Facebook. So I can actually share it in these three main platforms, although Twitter is the home folklore
0: and like you say, Twitter. I mean, I've, I follow it. Swarm's on there, and, and I know uh, your accounts are on there. Like you mentioned, the folklore community has a hashtag every day of the week on Twitter. I mean, I guess it's always been there; it's always been popular. But but Twitter kind of really built the community around it now. Why do you think it is so popular?
1: What's the appeal of folklore? I've been asked this question loads of times before, and I actually I'm not sure, which is a rubbish answer. To <laughs> apologise. I personally think one of the appeals is I come from a Christian background. I was baptized apparently with holy water for from Jerusalem, which I actually think, you know, if the, the minister that baptized me knew that I was a pagan now, that was a druid who'd be turning in his grave, you know. So um so I come from a Christian background and you know, I sort of tried uh, tried to escape from that like you know as soon as I could, you know, because my late teens because I'd always felt a strong connection with like more with like shamanism, you know, more like Celtic mythology. And I kinda wonder now as people sort of look for people certainly my generation, or a lot of people my generation, probably at some point in their life, maybe early in the life, had perhaps more a kind of Christian upbringing. You know, I come from a rural area and people that live rural and people that live in urban environments, probably maybe, maybe perhaps have a slightly different upbringing. So in rural areas, I think maybe, you know, like um, uh, Christianity would perhaps be a bit more important. I think what I'm trying to see is that because there's Christianity sort of waning now, that people are looking more into sort of something else. Christianity's only been here for 2,000 years. We've been around for a hell of a lot longer. So what were we doing? What you know? What what faith did people have before Christianity was thrust upon us? And then that's it kind of ties into like myths and legends and that type of thing so I don't know if that makes sense but I think it's when as people start looking for an earlier belief system that automatically drawn into folklore.
0: Yeah I can see that I mean for me like I'm a former Catholic I'm not Catholic anymore but Catholicism's kind of just borrows a lot of folklore things and you get holy wells that used you know they'd been worshipped at that well for hundreds if not thousands of years before that and then it kind of gets repurposed but maybe it's it's looking for a deep bow, you know what was there before and i mean one of the appeals for me is i really i feel very seasonal like a strong connection, like certain moods in certain seasons. And it happens with which works of art I pick out. So which pop songs I listen to or which music, which films I watch, I'll pick certain ones at certain times a year. And I feel very kind of connected to those seasons. And maybe there's a, people are feeling, you know, a lot of talk about the environment as well and how we need to protect that. So maybe it's something a bit more about understanding nature a bit more and whether you believe there's an actual spirit in that apple tree or you just think, it's nice that you've got an apple tree there so I think that's for me you know I like the stories about apple tree spirits even if I don't necessarily believe in them myself I think it's a nice way of appreciating the trees that are around you so so maybe it's that kind of connection to
1: nature maybe. When I gave up in Christianity escaped from Christianity I like to say I think my parents if they were listening to this were absolutely horrified but the, the language I use you know I sort of then, so went off on a journey looking for something else, just to see if there was something else. So I dabbled in Buddhism for a while and I think when it, probably when I read the Book of Druidry by Ross Nichols in the early nineteen nineties, and about the same time, you know, John Matthews brought out the Celtic Shaman. And once I would read those, I thought, you know, I found I found my place in the world. This makes perfect sense. And then a bit later on, having an encounter with perhaps maybe a nature spirit, elemental, whatever you want to call them. Uh, although sometimes you think, you, you talk about like fairies and that type of thing, you think, gosh, you know, but in Victorian times I've been incarcerated. That man, Stephen Ray, he said he's spoken to fairies. You know, they'll be you know, sent away and institutionalised. I, like, I haven't spoken to fairies, but I haven't experienced it had experiences where I've encountered nature spirits and that sort. And after that, I felt, yes, I, I have found my place within this, this world.
0: Yeah, and that comes across in your, your work as well. So we've discussed your films and, and, and how they sometimes take kind of folklore, elements of, of local folklore and then put it in a surreal kind of setting or you do it in a sketch, kind of goofy kind of way. Just thinking of you grew up in Ayrshire and then you now live in Cumberland, two very rural places, not too far away from each other. What's the kind of influence of folklore like there? Is a it, is it From where I see from Cumbria and, and Ayrshire and, and Dumfries and Galloway, there's quite a lot of folklore. And I'm from a neighbouring county where there's a lot of folklore as well. Would you be able to tell us how you got into storytelling and folklore? I've
1: sort of always been in storytelling folklore my uh, grandfather um i used to play tru- from school sorry mom and dad if you're listening and go up and work with him they'd school and he'd retired from farming and he worked as a, a gardener in a country estate i think that's where my love for gardening came from so i'd go up and work for him and he would just tell his stories you are know, gardening together you know it can be a bit kind of a bit boring so he tell me stories that you know from his youth so the raised farmed in the south Yorkshire coast so you could tell me stories about mermaids and uh, sea witches and uh, fairies and lots of different things. That I think probably never actually ever sit, spoke to my, my dad about. The interesting thing, of course, my, my, my grandmother, my mum's mum, she came from a kind of farming family down in Galloway. Quite a few of our ancestors lived in Ireland for a period of time. They were covenanters, and there's the covenanter movement, you know, there's a breakaway from the Catholic Church. And they connect more towards Protestantism, uh, but the lucky the lucky ones in the British fled to Ireland. So quite a few of her ancestors were Covenanters in Ireland. So. As a result, she was able to tell us some like, folklore from Ireland. And the one that always uh, stuck in my head was the story she used to tell of one of her ancestors who was on uh, his horse one night and he was going home and he had an encounter with a banshee. And of course, he took as a, an, a, an omen of his impending death. So he went home to his wife and his young kids and kissed them good night. Put his affairs and orders, and he was found dead the next morning. So always sort of, always sort of stuck me with this notion of, like, you know, one of my ancestors' encounters with a banshee. So my granny on my mum's side also used to tell us about folklore, so a bit of folklore from Ireland and a bit of folklore from Galloway, where she was brought up. My grandpa on my dad's side would tell me folklore from Ayrshire. And my mum's late brother, Monco uncle Billy, told the most fantastic ghost stories i wish i'd actually recorded them because he could tell the most fantastic ghost stories so Folklore's just always been in the family, and I read a lot of folklore when I was when I was young, when I was growing up, and it's always been there. But it wasn't actually really a thing until I was like I actually discovered Folklore Thursday on Twitter. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's a there's an outlet for folklore, where I can tell all these stories that I heard when I was growing up. There's now an outlet for it. But that time, of course, I was I was living in Cumbria. I was a, a, a practicing druid. Not Sure, what a practicing druid is, but I'd done I'd taken a course in a bardic training with the order of bards of apes and druids by that time, and so sort of a bard of Cumberland persona came forth actually once I realized I could actually tell you know that I had an avenue for telling folklore. I'd always been interested, the family had always holidayed in Cumbria. The Rays and the Hathaways would, would, um, would drive down to the Lake District and holiday once or twice a year so I really knew Cumbria very well from an early age and I think being quite feral as a child you know I would just go out the door in the morning and go off up hills and just do one thing and then come back at night as it got dark so I was always always very feral so I knew Cumbria really well and I, I I already knew a bit of Cumbrian folklore because it was sorta of, it felt very much like second home to me, you know, from a quite a young age. So Bard of Cumberland developed when I when I discovered folklore Thursday on Twitter. I thought, Oh, there's an avenue for me now, you know. And then after a little bit, I think, well I'm actually sharing folktales from Cumbria but there's all these folk tales, you know, that I heard when I was young that So I've started doing a bit more, of bit like Ayrshire folklore and folklore from Galloway and a bit of Irish folklore as well. So I'm at home on Twitter.
0: And at home with those backgrounds of Ayrshire and Galloway and and Cumbria, that that kind of area. What are the best ways that people can follow you and see your work?
1: Uh, So I share folklore of Ayrshire and Galloway and a bit of Irish folklore on at Stephen G. O. Ray, Stephen G. Ray on Twitter. Cumbrian folklore at Bard of Cumberland. Bard of Cumberland and Twitter. And if you get to these, you'll find like links to my websites. I've got Ray Film and Media is like art, poetry, film, folklore, and Bardofcumberland.com is a bit more about druidry and Cumbrian folklore. Bardseagreenfilms.com is all my other filmmaking stuff. So yeah, so it's sort of these these three personas. And land, land of lore films on Twitter
0: as well. So, so these different channels for slightly different leanings of you know still you expressing yourself, but it kind of leans different way through these these different channels. Stephen, it's really I'm really pleased that you've come on here. It's a world of creativity that you're you're putting out there and positivity and carefully environment and love of folklore and art and creativity. So I really suggest people follow those accounts and look at you. But thanks very much for coming
1: on the podcast. Lovely. It's been great. Thanks, Andy.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dream Swarm podcast. I've been your host, Andy Mark Simpson. We hope you'll join us for the next one. Remember, you can subscribe to stay in touch with future episodes. and follow us at the website www.dreamswarm.org or follow on Twitter and Instagram at Dreamswarm. And we look forward to joining you for more supernatural film, stories and art. In the meantime, be creative, be curious, be kind. We'll see you soon.